Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. Speaking of the CanMed conference, have you gotten your tickets yet for CanMed 2022? If yes, then I can't wait to see you out in Pasadena this May for another fantastic event. And if not, what are you waiting for? Head over to CanMedEvents.com now to get your tickets. At CanMed 2022, you will learn from the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. And if you want proof of that, look no further than our keynote presenters. Representing our science focus area, we have Dr. Ethan Rousseau presenting about cannabis and psychiatry. Representing our cultivation focus area, we have Dr. Seth Crawford talking about innovations in hemp breeding. Grace Bandong, our safety keynote presenter, will talk about building a comprehensive analytical testing program. And finally, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein will discuss cannabis medicine for children as our medical keynote. Those presentations alone are worth the price of admission, but please go to canmedevents.com to see the full schedule. And if you want a preview of what you can expect at CanMed 2022, check out our CanMed archive, which is a searchable video library of all the past CanMed presentations and panels. Find that at canmedevents.com. At this year's event, we are also offering a full-day pre-conference medical practicum taking place on May 3rd. The medical practicum is led by Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, Dr. Dustin Sulak, Dr. Kevin Spellman, and Eloise Thiessen. Each of them will share the latest medical cannabis research, including information on dosing, drug interactions, and different product types. They will also share their clinical experience they have acquired treating patients with medical cannabis. This really is a must-attend event for any healthcare professionals who are interested in recommending medical cannabis, but it's not limited to those folks. Anyone who is interested in learning more about medical cannabis can and should join us for this event. Head over to canmedevents.com practicum to learn more. Of course, if you can't make it to CanMed 2022, we have a number of resources to help you stay engaged with our community and enjoy some world-class educational content. You are already off to a good start listening to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so new episodes download to your device automatically. Second, we have the CanMed archive that I mentioned earlier. It's a searchable video library of all the past CanMed presentations and panels that you can find at canmedevents.com. While you're at canmedevents.com, be sure to sign up for email alerts. That's the best way to make sure you are up to date on all the latest CanMed news and special offers. Fourth, we have our CanMed community Facebook group, which is a great place to share and discuss news and topics related to cannabis science. The link to that group is in the show description. And finally, you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. Okay, enough with the shameless self-promotion. Let's talk about our guests. Leilania Debois and Daniel Hendricks are longtime Humboldt County residents who are working to preserve the unique culture and cannabis genetics that have developed in the region. 
Along with other collaborators, they have created the Humboldt Grace Legacy Project for the purpose of working to protect, authenticate, and validate legacy cannabis genetics through collaborative design. Lele is the founder and board chair of Humboldt Grace, whose mission is to empower the community in rural Northwest California through education, events, and projects that promote and share the culture of the region. Lele grew up in two worlds. One was with her father on the Southern California beaches, while the other was with her mother in a homestead deep in the heart of the Emerald Triangle. It was with her mother where Lele experienced much of the trauma associated with the drug war, including raids, family homelessness, death, kidnapping, and abuse. That experience was enough to make her want nothing to do with cannabis as an adult, but that all changed in 1999 when Lele sustained a life-changing spinal cord injury. Lele began to implement the alternative healing tools her mother taught her after Western medicines failed. She now believes the cannabis plant is a large part of her ability to thrive and sees it as a vehicle to help create positive change in her community that has been oppressed by the drug war. Daniel is the CEO and co-founder of Hendrix Farms, which holds an annual California cannabis nursery license, providing compliant, clean cannabis plant genetics to the licensed cannabis producers in California. Daniel's journey and passion for cannabis began at an early age in 1999 in his hometown of Arcata, Humboldt County, California. Affirmed by the scientific process, community relationships, and sustainable practices, these opportunities have flourished. With his own special focus on genetics and breeding, this unique plant aided in his personal growth and mental health. Lele, Daniel, and I discussed Humboldt County's unique culture, the Humboldt residents' experience with the drug war and feelings towards cannabis legalization, the valuable cannabis-specific knowledge that legacy growers have and why they need to be connected with cannabis researchers and academics to move the industry forward, and the Legacy Project's mission to preserve Humboldt County's unique cannabis genetics and create greater access to the market for legacy growers through auction. Before we get to my conversation with Lele and Daniel, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, Hendrix Farms. Rooted in Humboldt County, Hendrix Farm is a craft cannabis nursery that specializes in cannabis breeding, phenotype discovery, and nursery production of elite cloned plant starts, seeds, and seed starts. Recognized for premium quality, scientific process, and community ethics, Hendrix clones can be reserved by businesses and home growers via special request at hendrix.farm. That's H-E-N-D-R-X dot F-A-R-M. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lele Devois and Daniel Hendricks. Good afternoon, Lele and Daniel. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so Thanks, much, friends. Ben, for having us. Absolutely. All right. So you guys are both proud Humboldt County residents. And I think most people in the industry are familiar with Humboldt or the Emerald Triangle or have at least heard of it. But for those listeners who are not familiar, 
with Humboldt County. I was wondering if you could start by telling us what makes that area so unique and so iconic in the greater cannabis community? And maybe Lele, you, you can start. All right. Um, well, I think, you know, you kind of have two people that grew up here in Humboldt County. And, and in my perspective, and, and I imagine Daniel will agree with some of this, is it's really more about our culture than the plant. Um, the culture is what brought the plant here, and we utilize the plant to support our culture. And what I think really makes us unique is that we did build a culture kind of different than the rest of the world um, in a lot of ways um, that 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 evolve around sustainability and engaging with nature. You know, I was taught to eat with the seasons. Um, we grew all our own food, except for grains and things like that. Um, we, I was raised off the grid with, we built our own solar power systems, our own energy systems, water heater systems. Um, and it really was to bring bring the world back to nature you know um some people call it back to the land the, the back to the land movement um you hear the word the off gridders these days but these communities and other communities like it across the world really utilize cannabis to build that utopian lifestyle um and to me that's what sets humble apart we've managed to stand up against major timber companies and change policy around um, logging. We've managed to protect our um, folks from war in, in one of our towns. We made it so that if you were running away from the, uh, oh, what is it called, Daniel, when you're enlisting that you would be protected in the city of Arcata. So we really were able to take our, our views of freedom and, and build them here. Um, we're very engaged with our government, which I, I really appreciate. Um, and, and it's that kind of back to the land. How do we build a better world that created the culture here? Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think that my answer would reflect the exact same principles where it's environmental, you know, land stewardship is at the core principle, you know, that hunting and fishing and farming are all like a core part of everyone's operational function that organics and, you know, acceptance of race, religion, sexual orientation are all principles that are like baked into the Humboldt, you know, persona, you know, and it, and it ties to like the kookiness and, you know, easiness of, Hey, we accept the plant, you know, we mm -hmm. have, uh, accept nature. We have, you know, people like Julia butterfly in the nineties living in a redwood tree, hundreds of feet, you know, above the ground through all the seasons to show how much, she and the community care about, you know, in the environment. And it just, yeah, it's this weird tapestry of like cannabis and openness and yeah, artistic expression. So yeah, the culture is what brings the plant and the people. And, and if you ask almost any dinner party, have you ever been to Humboldt County? Somebody there has passed through uh, and, and experienced some of it, you know, whether it's the tourism, um, you know, they were here for education at Humboldt State University or or actually just wanted to see this mythological place for real. Uh, yeah. 
and it really is mythological. Um, I can't I can't remember what year or when it was, but when Mount Lassen last exploded and it hit the the um, ocean, it created all these plates that created all these really heavy mineral deposits that have a lot of energy coming out of it. And if you look at it's called the Klamath Knot is what is its mystical name, um, but it impacts the water, the the environment, and all sorts of things around here that that contribute to our biodiversity. Um, and it's a very magical geological anomaly. Anon although I can't say that right, but you know the word I mean. <laughs> yeah, anomaly. Anomaly. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's really cool. So, going back to cannabis specifically, though, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of before before there was really a legal market in California, Humboldt County and the Emerald Triangle was really sort of the um, the epicenter for, for cannabis culture in California. Fair to say? It felt like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think um, where we got in our history was during, you know, during the 80s when camp came and, and where we have a unique experience. I mean, there's a lot of cultures that utilize cannabis in a lot of different ways throughout history as we're slowly unfolding, right? But what I think is a little unique to, to Humboldt and the Emerald Triangle is how our culture how we were impacted and how we navigated the drug war. You know, we really did have military helicopters chasing us out of our gardens. Um, and that creates a lot of trauma, but it also creates a lot of resilience, which is what I love so much about our communities. And I think is so valuable for the rest of the world to understand and learn is how we do build resilience out of hardship. Absolutely. I think, you know, Humboldt County has definitely, um, it bears the scars of the drug war for sure. And I think, I don't, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I think when, you know, legalization came through, there was a lot of hope that, you know, the, the farms and the folks in Humboldt could, could prosper from that and really take advantage. And, and I'm curious, you know, if you could talk about what is the current state of, you know, local growing in Humboldt County and has it really lived up to the expectations of that? I would say that, okay. So to, so to make sure you don't answer for us in that sense that I would say that there was a lot of division in their opinion of whether or not, um, the state of California or, you know, any government agency was going to come in there and fix the medical freedom of growing the plant. Um, I, I think there was a lot of doubt that that would work and that specifically Northern Humboldt and Southern Humboldt, they were diametrically opposed. It was like Southern Humboldt voted down the concept of legalization in California repeatedly. Wow. And, and Northern Humboldt maybe supported it the second time around, but you know, I think there is a lot of doubt that 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 the the taxation and the state of California would come in and and bureaucratically fix something like the cannabis industry. So, I think that the people might say that they all saw this, you know, coming in the sense that it invites in big business um, and it invites in um, 
Well, heavy taxation is a problem because it comes at, at every single level of government for, for a cannabis business. It's really strict from a federal level. It's really strict from a state level. Um, you've got any entity in, in, in the state can, can tax you. So there's a lot of levies against it. Um, and so people that want to do it ecologically sensitive and, you know, make it like the smallest footprint they can, which is, you know, the typical Humboldt small farm, uh, they're running against a lot of obstacles uh, that are just kind of baked into the system. So I don't think there's a ton of surprise where we're at. Um, and I think that like some people are, are finding success and, and some people are saying, I told you so. Hmm. And I think Daniel and I um, come from that resilience part of the trauma of knowing that things get really bad, but when you work hard and you persevere, they get really good. And that just like nature, everything evolves and cycles. Um, and change is scary, you know, and, and it can be really scary for a lot of people. I think we have a really long way to go before we are normalized, meaning that we have policies that actually support a successful and sustainable industry. Um, but we also have a really huge gap between folks like Daniel and myself and other folks that have this legacy of experience and knowledge around the plant and new science and technology. So all these mistakes are getting made. And that's part of what we're trying to do with the, with the, with the legacy project in Humboldt Grace is how do we get those two conversations to talk more and connect and support each other? Because we know the magic behind this plant, but we haven't broken it down into all the words and the labs. And we need that help to build, right. to build a stable industry, let alone a sustainable industry. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great point, and that's probably a great segue for you to talk about the project that you guys are building out there uh, to address some of these issues with the industry. So, Lele, I was hoping you could tell us a bit about the Legacy Project and what problems is it really hoping to address? Well, the Humboldt Grace Foundation was really created to help and empower and heal these, the communities that have been impacted, like we discussed earlier. And, you know, nature always tells you that you really have to start at the core to create any solutions or the seed. And personally, what my experience around this plant has taught me that if you don't understand your plant, it's really hard to measure any of the other variables. And we as a community know that our microclimates are unique because we have this amazing redwood curtain and so much diversity. We know that our processes are unique because we've been working with this plant. I know someone who's been working with this plant for six generations in this area. They have very unique understanding. And then as Daniel and I also told you, the people and the culture are so unique. Um, and so the, the legacy project is a way to start with that seed with the genetics, because we have volumes of genetic, genetic diversity in these communities that has not even been touched for so many reasons. One, there's very little understanding that that's there and there's very little data to show that's there to trust 
you know, these, some of these genetics are considered, you know, like the hope diamond in some cases, um, it, you know, people have put a lot of their lives into it. And so how do we bring those together? And this event and this concept and this vision was an idea to not only start bringing those things out, but to empower all those small farmers that are being so impacted and they can't get through to switch the market. Let's go small, let's grow right. And let's really know how our genetics are curating in those microclimates because we know, a lot of us know that when, when Daniel grows skunk, in his backyard and I grow skunk in my backyard, they can come from the exact same mama, but they're going to be slightly different medicines. And if we really want to keep healing people and we really want to utilize this plant to what it's able to do, then we have to start having the conversation around the genetics, the processes and the climates. We also know and have seen already that as the market grows and the consumer becomes more mature and product developers come, become more mature, that the only way to really have that product efficacy and create that consumer loyalty that every brand and every company needs, genetics are also a part of that story. And we want our farmers to be growing all those special things just like they used to, not hurting, not negatively impacting the environment and innovating, helping you, helping the industry innovate because we do have generations of knowledge, genetics and processes around this plant. And so the Legacy Project is a way for all, us, all of us to come together and start solving problems, but it's also a way to educate through the vehicle of an event um, in marketing why these things are of value. Daniel, anything yeah, to add there? Uh, yeah, you know, my my motivation that's intertwined in all of that is, you know, the preservation. Uh, it, to me, that's the, you know, one of these great vehicles that, you um, the legacy project offers is people to come out of the shadows with these genetics you know there's a 40-year head start um, in creating these local land races and genetics that are, are critical to genetic diversity in this like amazing plant which you know aids in cancer research and it aids in autism research and it aids in wellness and self-care in a time where you know, that's a really important factor in, in how we manage our daily lives. And so the diversity that exists there, if we, you know, look at any other crop um, that's grown in this kind of fashion, genetic diversity becomes critical 50 years into the crop production, where you need some diversity to fight a pest or a pathogen or um, the stress um, that the environment is going to incur over the next 30 years as drought sets in. So, you know, diversity is not just like it's so critical and the legacy project and the awareness around um, cannabis genetics uh, is critical. And so I look to Humboldt County as, you know, this great wealth of genetics. And, and I really hope that everybody, uh, you know, is able to like access this resource um, that we all have. And we, you know, we've been privileged to for, for many decades. 
For sure. And, you know, the more cultivators or folks who are studying cannabis genetics, um, each time I talk to them, they talk about how a lot of the products we see on the shelves and dispensaries and everything, the diversity is just not there. It's, it's a lot of the same. It's all kind of, you know, high THC sort of strains and it's all sort of the same. So I was wondering if you could speak a bit about some of the diversity that, um, that these legacy growers may be sitting on that, um, that we might get to see. <laughs> yeah, it, it is incredible. Uh, cause he, there's, there's the trend right now, you know, if you make it simple is high THC, you know, a certain kind of terpene profile. Um, and, you know, I don't want to pick on any strand, so I won't name names, but, you know, the most popular things that move up the leafly chain sometimes um, are the very same that, like, I'm a daily, all-day smoker, and I am not affected much by cannabis. Some of them give me a headache, and I know which mm -hmm. ones do, and I know which ones don't, and I know which ones are going to keep me up and which ones are going to help me go down and which ones before I play basketball and, you know, which one before this podcast. So I think that people get, you know, they're, they're missing out a lot of like the experience and then that's kind of painful to see, you know, it's like, well, you know, if you reduce everything to a data point, then all oh, high THC sells faster and, you know, purple sells faster. It, it really locks you, you're, you're locking yourself out of experience and, you know, cannabis isn't about the visual and the, it's about the whole experience. So. Yeah, the diversity is amazing. And, you know, what won the Emerald Cup this year um, came from um, Canna Country for the Breeders' Cup. And it was a low THC, high fruit, um, bred by one of the legacy farmers. It was, I, I happen to know Cherimoya, which is an old land race, which was one of the influencing genetics in it. So the best of the best and what is reviewed the best when you have these competitions is not the highest THC. It's mm. not what's available um, in most dispensaries. And so if you want to have the best experience, you're going to have to be a connoisseur and people just, you know, it's going to take time. And until then we just kind of get to enjoy these privileges firsthand us, you know, up here in the sticks. I think also when you're talking about business is people are going to want to be able to get, you know, have a very particular experience. Your brand represents something, right? Maybe it's a hip hop show. Maybe it's a field of flowers, but consumers are going to have that expectation. I like blunts and I, and I got a blunt the other day. It, I'm not going to, it was named by a very feminine jeweler company. And I bought that blunt and I expected like something that I enjoyed and it was like skunky skunky like or more gassy probably like a, a heavy OG but they had named it this very feminine name you can get away with that right now because it was really good weed but yeah. in five years from now the consumer is going to be so much more mature that you're not going to be able to get away with that and so brands and product makers we see them 
calling us, calling our communities and saying, hey, I really want this experience. And what we know is that this microclimate does really high CBG. This microclimate does, you know, really high CBD. And how can we help curate those for you um, with what we already have here? And a lot of our breeders have been testing in ways and working with this plant in ways that they can tell you that before that plant is fully developed, you know, what are those strong traits going to be? And it can actually happen a lot quicker than people expect these days. Yeah. And that's a great point. If, if folks are, I mean, if the market's finally going to mature, we're going to get some more diversity on the shelves. They need to access more diverse plants and that's where you guys can play a key role. And so maybe that's a good segue into talking about the uh, the auction that you guys are are looking to put on, um, and how how a mechanism like that can help sort of empower these legacy growers to uh, protect their intellectual property and you know maybe get some recognition and some uh, some compensation for all the work that they've done. Well, Daniel mentioned the Emerald Cup. And folks who win the Emerald Cup get a lot more opportunities. You know, they get recognition. There's a lot of marketing that comes with that um, that isn't on the weight of that producer. And so it's it's kind of like that. But instead of doing a, um, a, a contest, we wanted to create more access to the market. And, you know, we already have seed auctions and things like that. And, and so what we wanted to do was create a way to promote and educate on more complex markets than just selling your seeds or your plants, which are licensing agreements. You know, a cosmetic company could want a certain genetic for just their skincare, and another company could want the same one for their drink line. Well, that's a diverse market for a breeder. Those are two different licensing agreements that they could create. And we feel there's a lot of power for these small communities around those kind of that kind of market um, keeps everybody small, keeps everybody innovative and curating around the plant. Um, and then, then the, the big can go outside. Um, and so we really wanted, Daniel and I have been in these conversations around these particular biz, um, this kind of licensing business for, I don't know, about four or five years. And it just always seemed like a really good way to empower the high quality small farmer, which is really what our culture was created around, and yet also educate the market on the value of the genetic diversity. Um, and so an auction, an event, I've, I like throwing hype events. I like educating through those kind of platforms. Um, and we just saw it as an opportunity. Um, we started with just saying, Hey, who wants to come? And now we're at a place where we have an amazing blockchain company called Canopy, right? That has created a platform that all breeders can 
engage in for free. Um, it doesn't cost unless you start invoicing it through the through the metric system. And what that does is that allows anybody to create a digital archive of ownership. So if their genetics get out into the market without their knowledge, they have the first step to saying, this is mine, not mm -hmm. yours. And we really couldn't ask people to come out of the, you know, start throwing their stuff out in the market and licensing agreements unless they could protect it. Uh, then we wanted, you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, we're the best and, and this industry is full of smoke screens and we want to be authentic in what we do. And so we really wanted to find a way to authenticate. Um, and that's why we chose, we were, we were given the opportunity to use the pre-96 Skunk 1 as a beta test. And, and the reason we chose that is because it does have so much controversy and notoriety. We just wanted something that we could build authentication and validate and because there's so so much controversy it's not going to be easy and so that means anything that follows um, it will be much easier so this is it's our beta to help protect help authenticate and help validate and and the auction is really an event as a tool to make it exciting and bring it all together yeah, skunk is a lightning rod for a controversy. I like that component of it. And I think like last week, you know, they're circulating and calling each other out on Instagram, which is just like a great WWF match sometimes um, <laughs> if you're watching. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, signaling people and... And, and what, is it, what is it about skunk that, that is so controversial? It, it, it is. It gets people's attention. You know, some of my favorite accounts are responding to each other and have opposite views. And yeah, so I, I think the skunk is is this in the same sense mythological where you're never going to get back to the original skunk. You, you just can't because it, there's no way to prove it anyway. So I think that building all of these different skunk variations that are out here and tying them together and, and tying it for what reasons is really interesting. Um, and the skunk's really interesting from a scientific perspective. It's scientifically, you know, has something happening right now where they're tying the thiol, which is like a unique component, um, constituents that haven't been tested for traditionally in cannabis that, you know, a Humboldt state, uh, professor at one point was the first to discover this compound in actual skunks. So these different thiol variations, you know, can indicate different um, skunk species. And in the first tests that were, you know, being published this year uh, are, are kind of supporting that, uh, that there's associations here with these thiols and the smell of skunk. So it's really exciting um, just from all angles. And so you, you layer DNA and you layer cannabinoids and you layer you know, popular opinion, it's irresistible. It's really fun. I get to go meet an 84 year old archeologist after this call, who was a part of a group that took a pack of skunk seeds that were brought back by a Karuk woman who's still alive. She's also in her eighties and they hid it in a cave. Um, and, and we're going to go talk to see if maybe he wants to go pull them out of the cave. Now, those skunk seeds pre-exist these other skunk seeds, right? I right. mean, they're, they're very old. 
So what what's fun about it is because of all the controversy, it's bringing up more information, more stories, right? It's not about is this Mel Frank pre whatever. It's about how do we honor those legacies that brought it before us and, and how do we protect those and keep those that move forward honor because many more genetics are going to be created. We all living up here for as long, we all know how much we like to make new fun things. And with the science, people are going to really be able to hone in on that more. Um, And we just want to show that it's real, it's authentic, and that it's worth the value that we we're going to, our validators are going to say it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wanted to come back to something you you touched on before, Lele, when you were, we were talking about sort of all the, generational knowledge that's been accumulated um, in Humboldt and the Emerald Triangle over the years and sort of marrying that with sort of the the new wave of research and, you know, in science. And for me, I get excited at that because, you know, at CanMed, that's that's really what we're trying to do is trying to bring people from different parts of the industry together to sort of collaborate and sort of move the industry forward. And typically it's been sort of having the healthcare providers talk with the cultivators to talk about, you know, the cannabinoids that they're interested in to come maybe inspire the cultivators to, to grow something new. But I think there's another component too, right? Where it's the legacy growers talking with, um, you know, the academics to where there might be examples of things where, I mean, you guys know just from experience that, you know, when the plant looks a certain way or it's a certain point in its development, you do X but you might not understand really why that is the case. And if we, if we can work together, we can maybe determine why that is and then even optimize from there. So that's, that's really exciting. It, it, it is. And it goes beyond just the science of the plant. It goes into just practical applications, whether it be you're giving a lecture and you talk to someone in the legacy and they can give you a perspective that you never had before. Mm. You know, it's like, it's like, I look at it as we are a, a region of Einstein's around this plant that have so much experience that everyone who's engaging should want an Einstein as a right. part of that conversation. I've, I am, I, I'm trained. I was trained as a nurse before my spinal cord injury. So I have a little science background, but not you know, heavy, yet I've been a part of an, an artific- two artificial intelligence projects just because they wanted that understanding of the plant. Um, and, and I've been a part, I, I, I helped influence um, Dr. one of Dr. Mackey's um, talks on um, extraction just through a conversation that he felt really impacted that. And I think we got to bring those two together to really make this industry as transformative as, as, as it can. Yeah. And, and to that point, the fact that you that there is so much generational knowledge and experience up there in, in, in Humboldt and the Emerald Triangle, have, has there been any recruiters that have come up there and tried to you know hire people to go work for you know a big um, corporate grow or something like that? And I mean, would that even be something that the folks up there would be interested in? Yeah, we I have friends that are all over the country right now helping people develop their grows. We we're individuals. 
Um, I don't ever like to tell someone how to, to live their life really, you know? Um, and personally, I feel like we have to integrate to educate. So I'm really supportive of legacy operators going and working for larger companies or different companies to help them not just learn about the plant, but learn about the values of our culture. So they'll carry it through. Um, but traditionally we are definitely a, a NIMBY society. We, we definitely have shut people out. Um, but I think as this market evolves and as our community transitions, uh, people are seeing that those are real opportunities for them as well. Um, and so I hope we do have more people come up here recruiting and looking for support from, from these areas. Yeah, you see it failing on the other end. You see it failing definitely in places that aren't uh, traditionally cannabis cultivation um, locations, but maybe have experience in agriculture uh, in mm -hmm. California and seeing them bring in, like I said, we won't name names, but big managers from other companies that are from the produce industry uh, and are from the cut flower industry and seeing what doesn't convert and how that uh, without that cannabis experience that uh, it's definitely a recipe for failure. So you're definitely seeing people come, you know, after kind of making some of the worst mistakes and that they should save themselves probably a lot of trouble um, and start by integrating the, the, you know, the right kind of legacy cannabis operator, uh, somebody with, you know, 20 years of experience uh, that still has energy. Um, you know, we've talked about how genetically diverse this plant is, and that genetic diversity means how it responds to its environment, its food and everything. And when you don't have someone that understands those subtleties in your garden, it, 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 it can it, it can be a huge loss when you have someone that understands those subtleties helping you with that garden or product making or whatever that is, you end up being ahead of, of the market in that because there's so many shortcuts and I don't mean regulatory shortcuts. It's really just understanding of knowing how to navigate with the plant and work with the plant that your company will save. All right, I do want to be mindful of your time here. Um, so before I let you go, um, I want to give you an opportunity to share more information about the Legacy Project. Where can people learn more about it and stay up to date with everything you guys are doing? Well, you can go look at our website, www.humboldtgrace.org backslash legacy-project. Um, and we meet every Friday. We're going to be meeting every other Friday now is a public meeting because we're breaking out into working groups. But really anybody who's interested or sees value for themselves and wishes to bring value um, is welcome to come. Um, we're almost, we're right now in the process of getting ready to really launch the white paper around the whole vision. Um, and that'll happen by March. Um, but until then, anyone can reach out. They can find us at the website, um, www.humboldtgrace.org. And Daniel, why don't you let folks know where they can find you? Because he, he's, he's, he's the home of the skunk right now. <laughs> ah. Yeah, Hendrix.farm. Uh, we, we spell it uniquely without uh, so many vowels. H-E-N-D-R-X.farm, F-A-R-M. Uh, 
yeah, we'd love to chat about genetics or anyone had any questions, you know, we go on and on. Give us a call. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to see you guys out in CanMed uh, in May. I think it's it's going to be a great event and excited to have you guys out there. And uh, we'll talk about genetics out there. Yeah. Looking, looking forward, forward to, it. to it. Thanks for great event. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lele Dubois and Daniel Hendricks. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Hendricks Farms. Our next episode will drop March 2nd, that's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please do check out the CanMed archive and join the CanMed community Facebook group to stay connected with us. Of course, you can also stay in touch with us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Just search for CanMed Events. Sign up for email alerts on canmedevents.com to stay up to date with all the latest news. And please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Doing so helps us reach more listeners. I do sincerely hope to see all of you out in Pasadena this spring. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please join us for the next CanMed Coffee Talk.